0: I invite you to take your copy of Scripture this morning and turn to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, and this morning we are going to look at verses 1 through 6, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So if you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to look around you, and you should find a Bible there that we've provided for you, and you'll find our passage on page 1002, 1002. Hebrews chapter 3, and I'll begin reading for it in verse 1 and read through to verse 6. This is God's Word. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for Your Word. We praise You for this opportunity to gather and to worship and to hear Your Word. We pray, Lord, that You would accompany Your Word now with the power of Your Holy Spirit, that we might know You and glorify You. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, in this letter, the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians who are living in Rome in the first century. And these Jewish Christians are marginalized and they are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And as a result of the persecution that they are experiencing, they are tempted to retreat from their Christian faith and to return to their former life in Judaism. Now, many Christians today, similar to the, con- the situation that these Hebrew Christians find themselves in here in the first century, many Christians today feel the pressure of a secular society that is increasingly hostile to a Christian worldview and to Christian ethics. And as a result, many Christians feel the temptation to compromise their moral convictions, to equivocate on essential Christian doctrines, to retreat from sharing Christ with others. In short, we could say it's easier, it seems, to go along in order to get along. And some of the Jewish Christians here in this letter are tempted even to renounce their Christian faith and to return to their former lives. And some Christians even today may be tempted to do the same, to set aside their faith in Christ and to return to their former lives and to release the burden, the hardships, the difficulties that come with faithfully following Jesus in a fallen world. Well, the author of Hebrews teaches us here in this letter that when we are weak, when our when we are weary, when our faith seems to be failing us, what we need is to be reminded afresh of the glory of Jesus. In other words, as the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, we need to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews writes this letter to show his readers how Jesus is greater how Jesus is superior to the Old Covenant, and to admonish them not to revert back to Judaism, but rather to persevere in their faith in Jesus. So far in Hebrews, we have seen that Jesus is greater than the prophets. We've also seen that Jesus is greater than the angels, and in our text this morning, the author of Hebrews declares that Jesus is greater than Moses. And so that's the, that's the primary message, the essential message of our text this morning. Jesus is greater than Moses, therefore consider Jesus and hold fast. Jesus is greater than Moses, therefore consider Jesus and hold fast. And we're going to look at our passage this morning in three parts. First of all, we will consider that Jesus was faithful like Moses. Secondly, we will consider that Jesus... Is greater than Moses. And then, third, consider Jesus and hold fast. So, first of all, let's consider this first part of our text Jesus was faithful like Moses. Look there in verses one and two, and we read these words Therefore, holy prophets, or holy brothers, I'm sorry, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Who was faithful to Him who appointed Him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house." You know, in sports there is always this ongoing debate over who is the GOAT. Uh, GOAT is an acronym for the greatest of all time. So, for example, in professional football, there's uh, many people believe that Tom Brady is the GOAT. He is the greatest of all time, primarily because some people are cheering that. Um, others would not, especially Falcon fans. Um, primarily, people believe that because uh, he, more than any other NFL quarterback, he's won more Super Bowls than any other NFL quarterback. There, there's, in professional basketball, there's always this ongoing debate over whether Michael Jordan or LeBron James is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And of course, the answer to that question is Michael Jordan, but that's a discussion for another time. But when it comes to Judaism, many people would argue that Moses is the goat. Moses is the greatest of all time, okay? So when you think about it, in many ways, everything started with Moses. Moses is credited with writing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Not only that, but God first revealed His personal covenantal name to Moses, I am Yahweh, I am who I am. It was through Moses that God chose to bring about His signature act of salvation in the Old Testament, namely the Exodus in which God delivered His people from Egyptian bondage and slavery. And furthermore, it was through Moses that God revealed the law and established His covenant with the nation of Israel. For all these reasons and more, Moses could reasonably be considered the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. You see here in chapter 3, verse 2, the author of Hebrews asserts this regarding Jesus. He says that Jesus was faithful to Him, that is to God the Father, who appointed Him. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house, and God's house there is a reference to God's people. And what the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate here to his readers is that Jesus is the new Moses. That's the way the author of Hebrews is thinking here in these verses. It becomes apparent as we look at it more closely. So you see there in chapter 3, verse 1, he refers to Jesus as the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now an apostle, apostle, that word, it means sent one. And a priest is one who intercedes on behalf of another before God. Now think of this as it relates to Moses. Moses was sent by God on a mission. He was sent by God to Pharaoh to declare, let my people go. And Moses functioned as a priest on behalf of the people. There were any number of occasions where the people rebelled against God and and God threatened their extinction that He was going to wipe them out and Moses interceded on their behalf and God showed them mercy and they received grace rather than judgment. So in this sense, Moses was an apostle. He was sent by God, and he possessed a mission. And Moses was a priest because he interceded on behalf of God's people. And the author of Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus is the new Moses. You see, he says there that Jesus is the apostle. You know, this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus is referred to as apostle. As I said before, apostle means sent one, and although this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus is explicitly referred to as the apostle, this idea is prominent, especially in the Gospel of John, that God the Father has sent Jesus on a mission. So in John chapter 3 verse 17, and we could give so many examples, but in John chapter 3 verse 17 we read, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So Jesus is sent on mission by God the Father to bring salvation and redemption to the world. In this sense, Jesus is the apostle. But also you see there in the text that Jesus is the high priest who intercedes on behalf of his people before God. So just look up a few verses in chapter 2, verse 17, and there we see that the author of Hebrews speaks of the high priestly ministry of Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 17, the author of Hebrews writes... Therefore He, that is Jesus, had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now what does that mean, that that Jesus made propitiation for the sins of the people? It means that by His atoning sacrifice on the cross, He satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. So that we could be reconciled to God. In this sense, Jesus is the high priest. So Jesus is the new Moses. He is the apostle. He is the high priest. But notice, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, He is the apostle and the high priest, notice this, of our confession. You know, as Christians, we make a confession. What does that mean? That means we confess our faith. And it's not just any faith, but it is faith in Jesus. Our confession is not just an idea. It's not just a set of propositions. Our confession is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we confess our faith in Him, in Jesus, who was sent by God to accomplish our salvation and redemption and who is our great high priest and by His atoning sacrifice on the cross has reconciled us to God the Hebrew Christians here are in danger. They are in danger of relinquishing their confession, of forgetting that God sent Jesus to purchase their redemption and to redeem them and save them by His atoning sacrifice. You know, originally they would have made this confession at their baptism. It's probably very similar what they experienced to what baptismal candidates experience here at Crawford Avenue Baptist Church. If you've seen a baptism here at our church, you know when a baptismal candidate comes into the waters of baptism, I ask them the question, do you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and only hope of salvation? And they confess, I do. And then I ask them, and do you desire to publicly identify yourself with Christ and with His church? And they confess, I do. And then they are immersed into the waters of baptism. And you see, the Hebrew Christians here, they needed to be reminded of their confession, their confession that Jesus Christ is the one sent by God to bring redemption and salvation through His atoning sacrifice as the great high priest. I wonder, my friends, have you ever made that confession Have you ever confessed Jesus? First and primarily before God, but then also before men. Listen, wherever you are seated right now this morning, you can make that confession in your own heart before God. You can confess that you believe that Christ is Lord, that He's Savior, that He's come to redeem you and save you by His atoning death on the cross and God will save you. And then if you do so, I want to encourage you to come and see me after the service or mark on your connection card that you would like to know more about following Christ so that we can help you understand better what it means to confess Jesus before men through the act of baptism and what it means to become a faithful follower and disciple of Jesus Christ than to those of you who have confessed Christ previously in your life. Maybe you, like the Hebrew Christians here, need to return. You need to reaffirm that confession in your own mind and in your own heart. Perhaps you have drifted from the Lord. Perhaps you have lost your first love. Perhaps you've grown weary in the battle of following Jesus. Let me encourage you this morning to return afresh to Jesus who is the Apostle and the High Priest of our confession. Jesus was faithful like Moses. But second, notice in our text that Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. Now this is found in verses 3 through 6, look there in verse 3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So, in chapter 3, verse 2, The author of Hebrews has already established that Jesus was faithful in all things, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. But here in verse 3, the author of Hebrews goes a step further. He says in verse 3, "'For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses.'" Now, if you've been here with us over the last several months, you know that this is our theme this year for the first six months, the glory of God. And do you remember one of the definitions we've used for the glory of God? The glory of God is the going public of God's infinite worth. And listen, my friends, nowhere are the manifold perfections of God on greater display than in the person and in the work of God. Of Jesus Christ. As the author of Hebrews has already stated in chapter 1 verse 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And as a result, the author of Hebrews tells us here in chapter 3, He is worthy of more glory than Moses. And then the author of Hebrews goes on in these verses to give us two justifications, two reasons why Moses, or why Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. The first is this Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses because Jesus created Moses. Look there in verses three and four. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is is God." And so the author of Hebrews here is pointing out that Moses and all of God's people find their origin, both the origin of their physical lives and their spiritual lives, in Jesus. You know, already the author of Hebrews has declared in chapter 1 that Jesus is the Creator of all things. So notice the argument here. Moses was faithful in all God's house. And Jesus was faithful in all God's house. In this way, Jesus and Moses relate to God's house in the same way. But there is another way in which the relationship that Jesus has with God's house is dramatically distinct from the relationship that Moses has with God's house. Moses is a member in God's house. In other words, Moses is a member of God's people. But Jesus is not a member in God's house. He is the builder of God's house. In other words, He is the maker. He is the creator of all God's people. And in this way, Jesus is far superior to Moses and to the glory of Moses. I want you to imagine a gathering of Jewish rabbis around a table just outside the temple in Jerusalem. And they've gathered together for a very important discussion. And the topic of their discussion is, who is the greatest of all the prophets? And as they gather together to have this discussion, one of the rabbis argues that Abraham was the greatest of all the prophets because it was originally through Abraham that God made the promise that He would make this great nation Israel. And then another rabbi speaks up and he says, No, I I believe it must be Isaiah that is the greatest of all the prophets because it was Isaiah who saw the Lord in a vision in the temple. And so surely Isaiah must be the greatest of all the prophets. And another speaks up and says, No, no, I think it must be Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel was given so many visions of things to come in the future, and so Ezekiel must be the greatest of all the prophets. And then the wisest and the oldest among them, the wisest and the oldest of the rabbis speaks, and he says, no, listen, my fellow friends, Moses is surely the greatest of all the prophets. Moses conversed with God on Mount Sinai. And it was Moses that God gave the law and the nation of Israel was established. And then all the while, Jesus is sitting at the end of the table and Jesus quietly yet confidently speaks and Jesus says, I am the greatest of all the prophets because I created the prophets and I created the prophets in order that they might make me known. And at that moment, the case is closed, right? Because Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, because Jesus is not just a member in the house, Jesus created the house. And Jesus created Moses, and He created Moses in order that Moses might make Him known. Therefore, He is worthy of more glory. Notice, though, that Jesus is not only worthy of more glory because He created Moses, but notice also Jesus is worthy of more glory because Jesus, this is the second justification, Jesus is God's Son. You see it there in verses 5 through 6. Look at verse 5. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now, this is really interesting because here in verse 5, when the author of Hebrews says, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, it is likely that the author of Hebrews has a very specific passage of Scripture in mind. In other words, as he writes these words here, he's reflecting on an Old Testament passage of Scripture. And the Old Testament passage of Scripture is Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Now listen to this. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, we read, "'And he said,' that is the Lord, the Lord said, "'Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream.' Not so with my servant Moses. See, he calls him servant. Author of Hebrews calls him servant, right? Not so with my servant Moses. Listen to this. He is faithful in all my house. The very same words that the author of Hebrews uses here. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against, and here it is again, my servant Moses. So here we see that there's a comparison, right? Moses is faithful in all God's house. He's a faithful servant. Jesus was a faithful servant just like Moses. So understand this. The author of Hebrews is not belittling Moses. He's not denigrating Moses. Could could a higher commendation be made of any prophet in the Old Testament? The Lord speaks about him directly and says, He's my servant, and I speak to him directly directly. And the author of Hebrews says that, sees this and he says, Yes, Moses was an extraordinary and used by the Lord and he was faithful. Jesus did that. He was faithful like Moses. But then notice in verse six, there's also a contrast. So, not just a comparison, he's like Moses, there's a contrast. And the contrast is that Moses relates to God and he relates to God's house as a servant whereas Jesus relates to God and to God's house as a son. So as a servant, Moses took orders. Moses followed instructions. Moses worked for the master of the house. In fact, notice the specific way in which Moses was a faithful servant. You see it there in verse 5. Look in verse 5. Now Moses was a faithful servant in all God's now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. And how? How was he faithful in all God's house as a servant? To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. In other words, the very specific way in which Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house was to testify about the coming of Jesus. Things that were to come later. To testify about the future salvation and redemption that Jesus would bring. And understand this. That is, Moses was a faithful servant to testify of what to as what of what to, was to come, he didn't just do this by providing specific prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah. Although he did that, he did this in everything he wrote. In all the systems, and all the structures, and all the laws of the Old Covenant that Moses established and wrote about and recorded for us in the Old Testament, he was testifying about the coming of Jesus because all of them are fulfilled in Jesus. So when Moses wrote about the temple, when he wrote about the festivals and the feast, when he wrote about the priest and the sacrifices, when he wrote about the Sabbath and the food laws, He was testifying of what was to come. He was testifying of the Lord Jesus because in Jesus they are all fulfilled. Moses was a faithful servant in the house as he testified to the coming of Christ. But Jesus relates to the house as a son. As a son, Jesus created the house. As a son, Jesus sustains the house out of his own resources and wealth. As a son, he exercises authority over the house, and he as the son is the rightful heir of the house. So you notice this contrast between authority, Jesus, and submission, Moses. And it's even even represented in the prepositions that are used here in verse 5 and in verse 6. Moses is described as being faithful in God's house as a servant, and Jesus in verse 6 is described as being faithful over God's house as a son. In other words, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Master, and Moses is his servant. He may be the greatest of all the prophets in the Old Testament, but he is servant to King Jesus, who is Son and who is Lord. As one author writes, quote, The implication is plain. To forsake the way of Christ for the way of Moses is to go from the greater to the lesser. It is to abandon the permanent in favor of the temporary. Another author writes, quote, "...the point here is obvious that these Hebrew Christians should not fall back from the new covenant in Christ to the old covenant in Judaism. Jesus is superior to the greatest old covenant hero through whom the old covenant was given." And therefore, his covenant is all the more superior. End of quote. So, Jesus was faithful like Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. And third and finally, consider Jesus and hold fast. Consider Jesus and hold fast. We see this in verse one and then also in verse six. So, the application the author here provides at the beginning. And then at the end, look in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So we see here that if we are to remain faithful to Jesus, this is the situation that they're in, persecution coming from the church, on the church, they're discouraged, they're despondent, their faith is weak, and the author of Hebrews writes and he says, consider Consider Jesus. If you're going to remain faithful to Jesus, you must consider Him. You must fix your eyes on Him. You must fix your thoughts on Him. It's similar to an admonition that He gives to these Christians in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 where He commands His readers to look to Jesus. I've been working over the last several weeks with my boys and trying to teach them some of the basics and fundamentals of baseball. And one of the basics and fundamentals in baseball and really every sport is keep your eye on the ball right keep your eye on the ball whether you're hitting whether you're catching keep your eye on the ball if you don't keep your eye on the ball bad things can happen and there's a similar principle in the christian life do you remember when peter in faith stepped out of the boat and jesus empowered him to walk on water and do you remember what happened when, G- when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus? He began to sink, right? Bad things happen when we take our eyes off of Jesus. If we are to remain faithful to Jesus, if we are to, to persevere in our faith, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. We must look to Jesus, or as Paul says, we must behold the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. A great example of this is in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen faithfully preaches the gospel to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and the religious leaders in Jerusalem become enraged with Stephen, and they're intent on putting him to death. And in Acts chapter 7 verses 55 and 56 we read, But he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. And even as as Stephen made this declaration, they began to hurl stones at him to kill him. And even as Stephen is being stoned, he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he goes on to pray, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen is faithful even unto death by beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. The more clearly he saw Jesus, the more faithful he was to Jesus. And listen, my friends, we should not expect that God is going to grant us a literal vision of the resurrected Christ like God did for Stephen there in Acts chapter 7. But through the pages of Scripture, we can see and know Jesus for who he truly is and as we do so we will be transformed we will be empowered to be faithful to him therefore it's so critical my friends that we we devote every day some time to opening the scriptures to reading and reflecting upon god's word so that we might consider jesus and we might fix our eyes upon him And something else I want you to see here in this verse is that if you consider Jesus, not only will you grow in your knowledge of Jesus, not only will it sharpen your understanding of who Jesus is, but it will also transform the way you view yourself. Because as Christians, we find our identity in Jesus. Do you see that in our text? Do you see how the author of Hebrews addresses these Christians, these these struggling Christians? He says there in verse 1, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Here they are struggling, some of them barely able to hold on to their faith. And the author of Hebrews refers to them as holy brothers. They are holy. And understand, when when the author of Hebrews says, you are holy, he's not congratulating them, he's not saying to them, Wow, you've done such a great job. You've kept the law. You've met all the expectations that were upon you. You've exceeded everything that's required of you. No. They're falling short. They're stumbling. They're not sure if they're going to be able to make it. He's not congratulating them because they have made themselves holy. He has declared that in Christ they are holy. Jesus has made them holy. And He has done so by His atoning sacrifice on the cross. As the author of Hebrews says in chapter 1, Jesus has made purification for our sins. And as we saw in chapter 2, He has made propitiation for the sins of His people. Therefore, the Hebrew Christians are declared holy before God through faith in Christ. Not only are they holy, though, the author of Hebrews says they're brothers In other words, they're no longer rebels, they're no longer enemies, they're no longer strangers or aliens to the promises of God, but rather they are brothers, they are sisters, fully adopted members in the family of God. And then notice they also, not only are they holy, not only are they brothers, they share, he says there in the text, in a heavenly calling. So contrary to atheistic naturalists who claim that All there is in this life is matter and stuff and atoms. The Bible insists that there is more. The Bible declares that as Christians we have a purpose, we have a meaning, we have a mission that is real in this world and coincides with God and His heavenly kingdom. And so they have a heavenly, and we do if we are in Christ, a heavenly calling And so when we consider who Christ is, when we consider Jesus, we better understand who we are. It's as though the author of Hebrews is is saying to his readers, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who you are in Jesus? You are holy. You are a brother, a sister, adopted member in the family of God. You possess a heavenly calling that will have consequences and implications for all eternity. Why would you revert back to Judaism? Why would you go back to your former life? What does your former life have to offer you that is better than what Jesus has already provided for you in His gospel and in His grace? The second Admonition here, though, it's considered. The second admonition is hold fast, and you see that in verse 6. Look there in verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, here it is, and we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So notice here that this statement is conditional. And we are his house, that is, we are his people, if, there's the condition, if indeed we hold fast our confidence in our boasting and our hope. Now, there are many conditional statements like this throughout Hebrews, and there are many conditional statements like this actually throughout the New Testament. So, what is the significance of this conditional statement as it relates to our salvation? And we are his people if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Well, the Scriptures teach us that all who trust in Christ are eternally secure in Christ. And at the same time, the Scriptures teach us that those who have truly trusted in Christ, although they may lapse in a time for a time in regards to their faith, they will not finally fall away, but they will persevere until the end. In other words, one who trusts in Christ is eternally secure, and the evidence of their eternal security is their persevering faith and trust in Christ. Those who truly trust in Christ will persevere in faith. But notice here is, as, as the author of Hebrews is admonishing them to hold fast, notice that He wants them to be confident in their standing in Christ, that God wants us to be confident in Christ and who we are in Christ. He says there in verse 6, "...if indeed we hold fast our confidence." That word confidence there can be defined as a state of boldness. It can also be translated courage or fearlessness. And, and this is a prevalent theme through this letter to the Hebrews. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the author of Hebrews says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Or in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. The author of Hebrews, and by implication God, wants us to be confident in our standing in Christ. So you don't don't persevere in the faith by always doubting your position in Christ. You persevere in the faith and remain faithful to Jesus by being confident in what Christ has done for you. This last week, I went to the Southern Baptist Convention with several men from our church, and we had a really good week, and I'd been gone for about four days, and when I returned home, my children welcomed me with boldness and with confidence. So I opened the door, and in particular, my little girl, Tatum, who's seven years old, she ran up to me and gave me a big hug and was shouting, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! She approached me boldly because she was confident that she would be received and welcomed by her Father. And listen, my friends, God wants us to have that same sense of boldness and confidence when we come before Him. That in Christ, as we run into His presence, we can run with boldness and confidence because He will receive us and welcome us with joy in Christ. This is a command. Be confident in what Christ has done for you, in his redemption, in the access that he has granted to you as you come before the Father. But notice, not only does God want us to be confident, he wants us to boast. It's one thing to be confident, right? It's another thing to boast. He wants us to boast in our hope. And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now, I know that many of us assume that boasting is sinful. And there are many forms of boasting that that are sinful. But the Bible teaches us that there is a form of boasting that honors and glorifies God. It is good. The word translated boasting here can also be used as, quote, the basis for or the content of one's feelings of legitimate pride, end of quote. Similar ideas also glorying in or rejoicing in someone or something else. And you see, Christian boasting is distinct from sinful arrogance. Sinful arrogance says, I am a Christian because I am better than this person. Or because I'm not as bad as those people. Or because I have done all the right things. That's sinful arrogance. Christian boasting says, I am a Christian because Jesus is the sent one, the apostle who was sent by God for my salvation and redemption. I am a Christian because Jesus is the great high priest who purified me from my sins and satisfied the wrath of God by His atoning death on the cross. I am a Christian because Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses was a servant in the house, but Jesus rules the house. He created the house, and He, by sheer grace and mercy, has declared me to be a member of His house and called me to Himself. And I boast I glory in the Lord Jesus. Do you know that's essential to being faithful to Jesus? That's essential to making it in the Christian life. To behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and to be so taken by Him and what He has done for us in His grace that we are confident and boast in our hope in Him. Consider Him, hold fast to Him as you glory, as you rejoice, as you are confident, as you are bold in what He has done for us by His grace and by His redemption. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for the great hope that we have in Christ. Father, I do pray for any who are here this morning that have become weary in their walk with You who have become weak in their faith, Lord, I pray that through Your Word that You would grant, even this morning through this message, through these words that are recorded here in the book of Hebrews, that You would grant us a fresh understanding, a fresh sense of the glory of Christ, and that we would be strengthened, we would be encouraged, our confidence and our boldness in Him would be renewed that we would know Your love, Your grace, Your mercy, Your welcome, Your acceptance, and that we would be strengthened, that we would persevere in the faith. Father, we do thank You for Jesus. We thank You that He is greater than the prophets, greater than the angels, greater than Moses, that He has come to grant us salvation and redemption. And we thank You that we possess that salvation and redemption in Him. And it's in His name we pray.